0: Thank you, Andy. Good morning, church. I'm glad to be here with you all this morning. I have the, uh, the privilege of bringing God's Word to you. It's always um, always a great honor for me. I always love doing it. One of the things I was just talking with Allison about, though, one of the things I love most about these Sundays is I not only get to, to bring the Word to you, but if you've been here long enough, you'll know that I'm normally on stage playing bass, so I actually get to worship with you guys uh, before I come up here. And especially this morning, I mean, I don't know how you get through that order without losing your voice. So we'll see how I do, but man, it was good to worship with you. As Andy said, you can be turning to uh, Ephesians chapter 5. Um, today, we're going to be continuing with that series in Ephesians. Um, over the past several weeks, uh, going back to chapter 4, we've been looking at what Paul is talking about as a walk in our lives. He's calling us to walk in a manner worthy of our calling in Christ. And so we've been looking at what that actually looks like day to day in each area of our life over the past few weeks. Last week, Andrew talked about walking in love and specifically what that looks like in our relationships through a lens of purity and how we see that. And this week, we'll continue Paul's thought as we look at walking in light and how that affects our daily lives. Paul transitions to this section. We left off in chapter 5, We're going to, uh, sorry, verse 5. We're going to pick up in verse 8 this morning. So he sort of transitions to this point uh, by encouraging us not to be deceived by empty words because the wrath of God comes on those who pursue after such deceit and wickedness. And he tells us not to get mi- mixed up in all that because there's something different about us. And he begins to explain that, talking to us about walking in light, starting in verse 8. So if you have your Bible with you, read along with me. If you don't, the words will be up on the screen. We're in Ephesians 5, starting in verse 8. And Paul says, "'For at one time you were darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light, for the fruit of light is found in all that is good and right and true. And try to discern what is pleasing to the Lord.'" Make the best use of the time, because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. The word of the Lord. Praise be to God. Let's pray before we start. Father, we thank you uh, for your word. We pray this morning as we look at walking in the light that you would illumine our path, um, give us the spirit of discernment to see the truth of your word, help it to apply to our lives, um, help us to have ears to hear and, and uh, be able to understand. In your name we pray, amen. Well, one of the things that I struggled with most as high school came to a close for me was this immense pressure of knowing God's will. There was so much stress surrounding my decisions on what school to go to, what degree to pursue to get into which career that I wanted so that I knew exactly where I would be in 5, 10, 20 years down the road. And now that's something that almost any high schooler can relate to, Christian or not. But add to that the enormous weight of God's will in the way we talk about it, and it's even worse See, then it's not just what do I want to do in 10, 15 years. Now it's what must I do to be in God's will in 15 years. A lot of us can feel that even now after school. you know, We struggle, should should I take this new job or does God want me to stay where I'm at? Should I start serving with youth ministry? Should I be in or even lead that discipleship group this year? Should we move? What is God's calling for my life? What is his will? We view God's will as this thing that guides the big decisions in our lives, and it's like a guessing game where we never really know what the answer is for sure, but we know we have to guess right or else we're in trouble because we're not in God's will. But the way Paul addresses God's will in this passage doesn't line up with that at all. See, he's talking about walking in light. That's his main point, and as he starts to describe what that means, it's about being in God's will, yes, but he talks about it confidently. It's as if he's saying walk in light, which means walking in God's will, which of course you know what that is. You know what God's will is. So there's a difference here that we need to correct as we work through the word this morning. Paul talks about it differently, and we need to understand that. Many of us are thinking about God's will only in the ultimate, big picture, secretive will kind of way. It's the thing that we have to figure out for our lives to go right, and it's only that one thing. There's no alternative, no changing. If we can't figure it out, or if we guess wrong, we're terrible Christians and outside of his will, and just out of luck. When really, it's much simpler than that. It's much simpler than that. When we think of God's will, we can think of it like if we're on a hike, right? We're headed toward this expansive overlook. That overlook is God's will, where we have to be. To us, the overlook is what really matters. It's our whole aim, our whole purpose is to figure out where it's at, how to get to it, and actually get there. There's only one right path there, and if we go another way, we're off course and in trouble. If it takes longer than we think it should... We're in trouble. And of course, if you can't quite figure out where it's at, again, you're in trouble. But oftentimes, as many of you know, in a trail system, there's not just one trail to the overlook. There's a lot of overlapping, intersecting ways. There's more than one way to get to that point. Now, some may be longer. Some may seem to go the opposite direction at times, but they will eventually get you to the overlook. We stress so much about God's specific will for our lives that it becomes our sole focus, and we begin to ignore the seemingly mundane callings for everyday life. But those are exactly what Paul is after here for us. We can't know the secret will of the Lord, and we're never asked to because the secret things belong to him. So we're simply called to walk. Yes, Paul tells us we need to discern and understand God's will, but that's only one aspect of his greater call for us to walk in light. That's, why, that's what we're primarily called to here, to hike the path rather than focus on the overlook. So what does it look like to walk in light? First, just like you would for a hike, it means we have to know the path. We have to know the path. This means learning what it means to walk in light by figuring out what it is God has actually called you to and knowing the character of the walk that pleases him. If you've done any kind of hiking, especially on any fairly difficult or lengthy trail, you know you have to know your path. Before you set out, you've got to know the trail that you're going to be on right? You, you start looking over the map, you make sure you're familiar with the distance, all the branches, the weird intersections, you memorize every fork so that you know exactly where you're going, you study how much elevation gain there's going to be, how long, all that stuff, so that you have all the right supplies, so that you're ready for what you're about to embark on, or else you go unprepared and risk getting lost, not taking the right supplies, getting in way over your head or worse, You have to be prepared. So Paul starts by telling us you were in darkness, but now you're in light. So you need to walk as children of light. And to do that, you need to figure out what pleases God. The first step is learning what characterizes this walk. Romans 12.12 helps us here when it says you must be transformed by the renewal of your mind that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. We're brought into the light. We have our minds transformed and renewed by the Spirit so that we can figure out what the will of God is, what pleases Him. And now you might be thinking, okay, I'm tracking along so far. Walking in the light means figuring out what pleases God. But how do we do that, right? There's not much instruction there. How do we actually figure that out? And I'm sure this won't come as a surprise to you. But the idea behind the word discern in verse 10 is a kind of scrutinizing, a deep and intentional study in an attempt to understand something. So Paul says discern, we need to deeply study and reflect on something. What do you think that something is? It's the word of God, of course. What better way to get to know someone and what they like than to read what they've written exactly on that subject? You want to know what Matthew McConaughey or Stanley Tucci love in life? Read Green Lights or Taste. If you want to know what God loves, what pleases Him, you go to the Bible. You go to His written word. He's revealed Himself in the character He expects to define the lives of His people in His word. So Paul is saying if we're going to walk His light, the first step is intentionally and continually studying this working to understand more deeply what it is God has revealed to us so we can find out what pleases him and how to live in that. The great thing is, though, the great help here this morning is we already know what that is. It's not a mystery for us. Paul doesn't just tell us to go figure it out and leave, it, leave us to it. In verse 10, he finishes the thought he started. He says, walk in light, dot, 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 which means learning what pleases God. And verse 9, is that dot, dot, dot. It sets the foundation for what pleases God. Look at it with me. He, he says, for the fruit of light is found in all that is good and right and true. Now, this isn't specific, but it certainly gives us a foundation to begin to understand. Our walk should be defined by whatever is good and right and true. The fruit of light. And even that phrase, fruit of light, provides some more clarity. There's debate over what exactly it refers to, but all of it eventually points back to Christ, his life, and his example in one way or another. We learn what pleases God by learning what is good, right, and true. And he revealed what that is in his word, both written and incarnate. We have the law of God to show us exactly what God considers good. And we can look to the example of Christ who perfectly fulfilled the law to show us how it applies in everyday situations. We can't rely on worldly wisdom to direct the way we live our lives. Matthew McConaughey's book may be entertaining, but he can't help you live a better life for God. Only God's perfect example and explicit revelation can help us understand how new creatures walk in light. And so we need to find out what God's will is, but we're not trying to find out his specific plan for our lives necessarily, knowing with certainty his ultimate calling for our life. It's broader than that. It's more about becoming increasingly familiar with the revealed will of God, how he wants us to live each day, and living in that. And so you know your path, you've got a clear idea of the trail ahead of you now. What we need to learn, you've got all the right supplies, what next? You have to stay on the path, which is continuing to walk in light by not being lured into sin and exposing the works of evil with the light of Christ. I saw an episode of this sitcom where a couple goes hiking, and they're pretty prepared. Like, they've got some good day packs, they've got some food, water, they've got their maps, several compasses, the, you know, the trail is is lined out, they know exactly what they need to do, but as they're going down the trail, they come to this fork, and there's a sign there that says, cute little waterfall over here. And they know they're not supposed to go that way. They know they've mapped out the trail where they're supposed to go. They have no idea where this trail leads, but they go, ah, you know, it's a few miles. It's, it's a waterfall. Who, who could overlook that? Let's just take a, a quick stroll down that way. What ends up happening, though, is they end up getting completely lost in the woods because they have no idea where they're going. They run out of food, they barely have any water, they're miles off track as they're trying to find their way. One of them breaks their glasses, the other sprains her ankle. It's a whole thing, and then it gets worse. They're limping around, blindly trying to find their way through the woods, when all of a sudden, a torrential downpour breaks out, and they end up having to hole away in this cave that's partially flooded. All they wanted to go see was a cute little waterfall. To turn off the trail just for a bit, and it turned into an absolute disaster. As we continue to hike this trail, to walk this path, it becomes increasingly common to see off to the side what look like the juiciest wild blackberries you've ever seen, or a quick little shoot-off to a cute cute little waterfall. The path is set with enticements that look alluring at first, but in reality are only meant to get you off the actual path. So Paul warns against this, and it continues the ongoing contrast that he has throughout, putting off and putting on, light versus dark. We've just been told to walk according to the light because we're no longer in darkness. He's given a foundation to help us figure out what we're supposed to do, so now he tells us what not to do. Walk in light and abstain from evil. He tells us in verses 11 and 12, take no part in the unfruitful works of darkness. Don't even speak of those things. And there's a weight of seriousness that should settle on us when we hear this. This is kind of similar to what Andrew was talking about last week. See, even joking about these things is getting too close to them. It makes too little of them. Now, of course, we have to speak of evil. It's not as Paul is saying, like, you literally never can talk about evil things, because otherwise, how will we expose them? But what he's saying, what he's trying to address with this point, is that we shouldn't speak of them lightly. They shouldn't be the character of our whole talk. Paul is trying to make sure that we don't get distracted, that there's no way, intentional or unintentional, we could ever veer from the path that we're supposed to follow. You know your trail, but there's dense forest all around you, and Paul is telling us not to go in there. And that might seem like a no-brainer right now, as you're sitting in the seat this morning. Of course, don't get off the path, don't go in the forest But when you're actually on it, when you're walking in daily life, you'll see something just a short way off the path that looks harmless and fun. Surely you can head a few feet in there just for a closer look. A little gossip here and there and never hurt anyone. When next thing you know, people you love are deeply wounded and relationships are ruined. We may think a short skip into the forest is no big deal, but it's so dense even that could cause you to lose the path entirely. In other places like Romans 13, Paul picks up this idea saying, the night is far gone, the day is at hand, so then let us cast off the works of darkness and put on the armor of light. Let us walk properly as in the daytime. We've been taken out of darkness into light, so cast off the works of darkness. Protect yourself with the armor of light, especially relevant as we come upon the armor of God passages that we'll look at in a few weeks. He's saying stick to the light, follow the path, because no matter how well you think you can navigate off of it, no matter how well you think you can work your way through the forest, there's always a danger of getting lost in it. Earlier in Romans, Paul emphasizes this point again by asking, what fruit were you getting at that time from the things of which you are now ashamed? For the end of those things is death. There's a contrast here that Paul is making between the fruit of light and the unfruitfulness of the works of darkness. The light brings something worth having, but following the things that do not please God only lead to death. So he's saying don't even play with getting close to them. That's what Paul is telling us. But even more than that, he says to take it a step further. Not only abstain from evil, but we must expose evil. It's not enough that we stay away from it. That's walking in light. But we also see in verse 8 that we are light. Not just that we're in it, but we are light. That's why verse 10 says, take no part in the unfruitful works of darkness, but instead expose them. We're called to be luminaries in the world. We are called to shine the light of the gospel on all things broken, any injustice, every area of our world that does not honor God, we must make that known and take it to account. We know what pleases God, the good, the right, the true. So we also know when we see something that is not that or works against that, something that's evil and twisted and thrives in falsehood. We must seek to bring attention to those things and correct them. We should recognize the way that banks and financial systems have been broken and misused, often to trap people in financial bondage. We should be talking out against the injustices done against the unborn. We need to recognize that there are broken systems that afflict and marginalize minorities in our country. But I don't mean throwing out your opinion of these things on Twitter or liking a Facebook post. It's not enough to use a special filter on Instagram to show solidarity. We have to live these things each day. When Paul talks about exposing evil here, there's a note of rebuke, not just revealing. There's a redemptive hint. It's more than shedding light on evil. It's bringing it into the light. Now, to be clear, I'm not saying that this is the mission or the job of the church as an institution. The church as an institution is responsible for making disciples. But as disciples, we as the body of the church, we're called to expose those things and take action to correct them, to redeem them, to bring them into the light. And some of you may have the influence and ability to work that kind of change in larger areas on a bigger scale, like government and the courts, but most of us don't. We can still do this, though. The rest of us can still work toward this in smaller ways in daily life. You could be a teacher who could speak out against administration when you notice that minority students are being punished more harshly for breaking the same rules as others. Or you might do as as many in our church already have and take up children in the foster care system who've had any number of injustices done against them. Maybe you're a landlord and you can refrain from going along with the astronomical rent market right now to offer affordable housing to families who can't afford anything else. To be sure, exposing and working toward the redemption and injustice and darkness in this world comes with risks. It comes with financial risks, It comes with social risks. It may make it harder for you to move up in your job. But that's par for the course in Christianity. The Bible is clear that the Christian life is one of risks, costs, and persecution. This is to be expected as a people who are reflecting the light of the very one who is crucified for doing this very thing. We reflect Christ's light to expose the dark works of this world, to reveal the better path despite the risks, in hope of awakening the unbeliever from their darkened, hardened hearts by the light of Christ. You have to ask yourself, are you willing to take the risks to bring darkness into light? In that hideous strength, the, the last of Lewis's, uh, C.S. Lewis's space trilogy, there's a character, Jane, who has this ability to see what others are doing while she dreams. And on the brink of this great conflict between good and evil in the book, the good side realizes how much of an advantage this could be. So they come to her and they say, Look, you've got to come help us out. And she, she goes, You know, I, I don't really know anything about either side. I don't have enough information. I'd really rather just be neutral. She's holding off on a decision till she has more information, until she gets to know them. She wants all the facts. But one of them says to her, Jane, don't you see that you can't be neutral? If you don't give yourself to us, the enemy will use you. We know what pleases God, what is good and right and true. We know we are called as luminaries to expose the wickedness in order to bring it under the rule of Christ, to show the world what is right and true. And if we're not working toward this, we're not just neutral. We're not just not holding up our end. We're helping the enemy and his works prosper. We know our path. We know we've got to stay on it. And we've got to stay on it while shining light into those dark places so that others can see the path as well. And so where does Paul's hike finally lead us this morning? We have to watch the path. We've got to watch our path, which is constantly examining our walk to make sure every decision is guided by what pleases God and makes the most of the time and opportunities He gives us. We have to pay careful attention to our path, making sure that we're still on the right one, constantly on the lookout for obstacles. Now, this is a characteristic of walking in light as well as kind of a general summary of how we continue walking in light. By looking at it carefully and making the best use of our time. I think about a a few years ago, Allison and I took our first big trip together Um, just before a pandemic hit. We went out to Colorado, and it was a great trip. There was some awesome food, some sweet time together in a new city as we were kind of exploring it, and of course, the best thing, some incredible hiking out there. We were both so pumped to get on some serious mountain trails, right? And our first big hike uh, hike was going out to Boulder to hike up the Flatirons. And it was a hard climb, but it felt great. The weather was perfect. It wasn't, you know, muggy and hot like it is out here. It was a nice, cool, crisp morning where you warm up as you're hiking, and you just feel great. We got to the top of it. We felt like we had conquered the world. We were so confident, so we said, hey... Why don't we take a little trail run down? You know, let's not just hike down. Let's take this seriously. Let's do a little run. And we start killing it, right? I mean, we're, we're just doing great. You know, Allison doesn't know this. We started racing. I won. Um, it was a great time, right? Just building that confidence. We felt like locals. We were killing this trail so well. We were so confident that we quit paying attention and, you know, we're just having some fun. And, of course, as we did that, Allison ended up slipping and hurting her ankle on a rock. Now, she was able to make it down, and we still went on our hike in the Rockies the next day, but it made everything tougher for her. Every, every bit of beauty was twinged with a little bit of pain. Instead of being able to just take everything in, you know, you're not able to hike the 10 miles you want to, you got to kind of limp through the 5 miles, right? And as you're doing that, every bit of beauty is twinged with a little bit of pain. You have to watch where she's walking. She had to be very ginger the whole time. It took away from it a little bit. See, as you're hiking the trail, you always need to be conscious of where you're stepping, which turns you choose to take where the roots and rocks are because they could trip you up and make it more difficult on you. You have to look carefully. That's why uh, Paul says in verse 15, look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise. The word here for look means a strict focus and attention to detail. So Paul is essentially saying to us, look, really look. Pay attention to what you're doing. Pay attention to the choices that you're making every day. It's a constant examining of our walk, intentional decisions to make sure we're still on the path because it's so easy to get tripped up or turned around. There's a connection here to verse 8. Paul says, You were in darkness, now you're light. You've been given a new nature, filled with the Spirit that helps us discern the will of God and live it out. So, with this new understanding, walk in wisdom. You've got the understanding. Walk in wisdom. Be intentional about the decisions you make, the way you talk to people, the way you treat others. And Paul is particularly emphasizing this in verse 16, saying we should uh, walk as wise, making the best use of the time, because the days are evil. He explains that walking wisely means we're not only examining our walk generally in the bigger picture, But going so far as to consider how we're using the small, mundane moments of everyday life. Making the best use of our time means using your time to the fullest for the glory of God rather than self. Think about your typical day or your week. What takes up most of your time? Is your time with the Lord and living out what pleases Him, the exception to the norm? Or are you making conscious decisions to, for example, share the gospel when you'd really rather just be left alone? To stop in the middle of a busy day and listen to someone's hardship, even if it's emotionally exhausting? Thinking about it another way, what does your time after Sunday and during the week look like with the body of Christ? Are you investing in community and edifying one another? because the word here for time also can mean opportunity the the NET actually translates this as taking advantage of every opportunity when you're presented with the opportunity to help with children's church to volunteer with youth to strengthen community through community groups are you making the most of those opportunities God wants us to always choose to follow light in every circumstance. In every decision, large or small, our choice should be the one that pleases God. In every circumstance. The days are evil. They're ruled by Satan who has a grip on the present time. And one commentator said that we as Christians are called to buy back that time. We're called to buy back that time by doing what pleases God, which is accomplished through the practical decisions of everyday life. It's the small, mundane, seemingly insignificant decisions in life that God is after. He wants to rule your every thought, to be king of your every moment, not just your Sundays at 10 a.m., Paul started this morning by telling us to discern or find out what pleases God. But he ends here this morning by saying, Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. Do you notice that change there? It's almost as if he's saying you need to figure out the will of God, which you know is doing everything that's good, right, and true, living after the example of Christ. And so since you know what that will is, live wisely by walking in it. Our old way of living is no longer an option because we're no longer in the dark. We've been given the ability to see. We've been told what pleases God. We know better now. We cannot live the Christian life haphazardly or thoughtlessly. We must examine our choices, even the smallest ones. We need to look at the opportunities we're taking advantage of and ask, are they opportunities for self Or are they opportunities for the kingdom? Now, I don't want us to hear all this and start to feel the weight of, of works or performance bearing down on us. So at the end of our time, I want us to look at all this talk of walking in light from a larger perspective as an encouragement. See, we're called to walk in light, but it's because we're children of the light. Paul is not telling you, listen, you need to clean up your act. You need to get better to make God happy so that you can walk in the light. That's got his message all turned around. His point is that we are free to walk in the light now. We have the freedom and ability as his children to do what pleases God. We are in the light. And remember how Paul told us that at the beginning. He said, at one time you were in darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Think about the other places that Paul uses this idea, even in Ephesians uh, chapter 1 verse 13 he says in him the lord you also when you heard the word of truth the gospel of your salvation and believed in him were sealed with the promised holy spirit Two eighteen. for through him the lord we both have access in one spirit to the father Two twenty-two. in him you also being built together you also are being built together into a dwelling place for god by the spirit In our union with Christ, we're given the Spirit who dwells in us. And this is the truth that Paul is basing all of his commands on. He's not telling us to walk in light to get here. He's saying, you're already here. You have this. You have the Spirit. You have access to the Father. So with that, walk in light. By his strength and power, live out the life God has called you to. Through his ability, go and do what pleases God. We can't know the secret will of God. That's where we started this morning. You'll never fully know exactly what the Lord has in store for your life. And think about it. Even if you did, what makes you think you would do any better at pursuing it? We know his revealed will. We know his will for how we should live every day in our actions, and we violate that constantly. So what would knowing that secret plan do for us? It seems like we're destined for a life of constantly disappointing God in our daily walk. But there's good news for us. Our walk is not what brings us into the light. Jesus knew perfectly the secret will of God and that it would mean his excruciating death. Yet he willingly submitted to it. He perfectly lived out all of God's will in our place. He walked in light perfectly in every decision, every thought, every moment. He did it because he knew we couldn't. And he did it so that he could bring us into the same light by his work and give us the freedom of walking that path with him. So we don't need to know God's exact will. We don't need to feel the pressure of knowing his ultimate calling on our life. He will lead us there in time. What we need to know is how he calls us to live now, in the meantime, in the small moment. He's revealed our path for each day. He's given us the Spirit who gives us strength to walk it. And because of Christ, we can be sure that even when we stray from it, when we get careless and trip over the roots, when we have no idea where we're headed, Jesus is there, and he's helping us all the way. Let's pray. Lord, we pray that you would help us to walk in the light to walk in a manner worthy of your calling. And I thank you that you've given us a calling and and given us freedom to walk in that light rather than having to earn our way into it. God, as we go out today, I, I pray that this week and this month that you would help us to find a renewed passion to discern your will by the illumination of the Spirit and the difficult decisions of life and to live that out, both in the big things and the small ways, the mundane things, the little things pray you would give us strength and boldness to shine the light of Christ into the dark corners of our world, and that you would use us to help make Christ known through this. Lord, would you help us be a people known not only for holiness, but for exposing injustice and evil. Help us to watch our path and give us the comfort and peace of the Spirit to know that Christ has walked this path when we couldn't for us, when we fail to do so. It's in your name we pray. Amen.